This is Illinois in Focus 2019 Year in Review, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Even though Illinois lawmakers were busier than they've been in most years passing new laws, taxes, and regulations, the news that commanded most attention has been the expansive corruption investigation in Springfield. Cole Lauterbach has that story. The tally so far includes three Illinois senators under investigation, one indicted, a state representative arrested for offering a series of bribes to another lawmaker who turned out to be a federal informant, and Federal Bureau of Investigation raids on homes and offices of multiple elected officials and lobbyists. In August, State Senator Tom Cullerton was indicted for fraudulently receiving salary and benefits from a union. He pled not guilty. A month later, FBI agents raided State Senator Martin Sandoval's home and office looking into evidence of kickbacks. He's not been charged with a crime. Illinoisans later learned that a number of lobbyists employed by utility ComEd were being investigated for improper lobbying activities in Springfield, which included a close confidant of House Speaker Michael Madigan secretly funneling money to a former Democratic operative who had been fired amid allegations of sexual harassment. Center for Illinois Politics editor Carrie Casper says the investigation of Madigan ally Michael McLean was a significant step in federal activity. You're seeing McLean, who, who has been, is a former lawmaker himself and has been a confidant of uh, Madigan's for years. And you're seeing others like like uh, Jay Doherty of the City Club of Chicago, who, who are also a, a part of this investigation. ComEd parent Exelon disclosed that it had been subpoenaed to testify before a grand jury. This was followed by the abrupt resignation of former ComEd Utilities President Anne Promajori. Exelon CEO Christopher Crane said in an earnings call that the reports on the investigation were drawing a number of conclusions. There's a lot of speculation in news articles. Um, uh, there's there's things out there that people are speculating on that, you know, um, they're guessing. Just as the fall veto session had convened for the last week of the year, news broke that State Representative Louis Arroyo had been arrested for offering a series of bribes to another lawmaker who had been acting as a federal informant. He pleaded not guilty and later resigned. Two media outlets have identified State Senator Terry Link as the FBI informant wearing a wire. Link has denied it. I'm Cole Lauterbach. Meanwhile, Illinois taxpayers paying more in taxes and fees than they did a year ago. Just this year alone, lawmakers doubled the state's gas tax from 19 cents to 38 cents a gallon. Since the tax kicked in last summer, drivers have paid $396 million more than the year before for a total of $826.2 million. Smokers buying cigarettes in Illinois are paying an additional dollar per pack tax for a total of nearly $3 a pack. Since the tax kicked in this summer, smokers have paid $48.1 million more than the year before for a total of $285.6 million in cigarette taxes. That's in addition to a looming tax tax increase in the new year on parking, increased license plate and other driving fees, and higher taxes on vehicle trade-ins. These increases are meant to pay for a multi-year capital construction program. State Representative Darren Bailey said there was a lot taxpayers were hit with in 2019. Our taxpayers took a beating, that's all there is to it, but I believe they've been educated much more than they've ever been educated before. So I think coming into the, uh, after this uh, uh, winter break that we're going to have, coming into the new session, uh, I know taxpayers in southern Illinois, they're mad, they're getting energized, they're getting, you know, acclimated to Springfield culture, they're reaching out to to, to other representatives, senators, and entities across the state. So uh, I believe that uh, taxpayers across Illinois are much more educated 
now than they were a year ago, and I think we're going to be. I think we're going to see the results of that soon. But not all Republicans are opposed to some taxes. At a groundbreaking for a rail relocation project in Springfield in November, just after the impeachment battle fractured the U.S. Congress along party lines. Republican U.S. Representative Rodney Davis stood with some state house Republicans and the state's leading Democrats to support infrastructure investments paid for with tax increases. You know what? They're taking some tough votes, but those tough votes were with projects like this in mind. And it's not easy to withstand criticism afterwards. But you know what? It's days like this that this city and this state and this country should be reminded that we're all here to work together. There's been some backlash. Some state lawmakers have pushed to repeal some taxes, such as the gas tax. Another proposal was to shift the higher taxes on vehicle trade-ins to private sellers. Those efforts didn't advance at the state house. Lawmakers returned to Springfield in late January. Illinois lawmakers approved Governor J.B. Pritzker's biggest campaign promise, asking Illinois voters to allow lawmakers to tax higher earners at higher rates via a referendum on the November 2020 ballot. Cole Lauterbach has a look at that story. Illinois' flat tax has been referred to by economists as the state's saving grace in terms of tax burden compared to other states. Pritzker campaigned on a platform of scrapping that protection and increasing income taxes on the wealthy residents while modestly reducing income taxes for more than 90% of Illinoisans. The progressive tax rates Pritzker signed would hike income taxes on individuals making $750,000 or more from 4.9% to 7.99%, but only if voters approve the constitutional amendment in November of 2020. During the debate in May, State Representative Mike Seleski said the measure was necessary to pay for the state's obligations. We believe that this rate structure would raise the appropriate route of revenue to pay our, our bills um, under undergraduated income tax structure and set the state on a more stable financial course. But Republican Margot McDermott warned the state's income tax rates may start lower, but they could easily be raised in the future. Is that even going to last one more fiscal year if this should be enacted when not one single one of our cost drivers have been addressed, even one dollar's worth? I said it the last time I got up to sp speak about this issue. I'm going to say it again. These are teaser rates. These are lying rates. Watch out. Outside the state house, several nonprofits formed to convince voters to either support or oppose the November 2020 progressive income tax ballot initiative. A group largely funded by Governor J.B. Pritzker called Vote Yes for Fairness has been buying online advertisements in support of the governor's, quote, fair tax ballot initiative. A group led by business advocate Greg Bays started Vote No on the Blank Check Amendment, along with Ideas Illinois, to fight it. I'm Cole Lauterbach. Starting January 1st, adults 21 and older can legally buy, carry, and consume cannabis for recreational purposes, but it didn't just happen overnight. The measure passed in May. Of all voters who wish, Mr. Clark, please take the record. On account of 66 voting yes, 47 voting no, and two voting present. And found bipartisan support and opposition, while Republican State Representative David Welter supported the measure, Democratic State Representative Mary Flowers opposed. I'm a father of three from a rural district, and I'm standing before you supporting this bill because I do not believe the current policy that we have out there right now is working. Prohibition doesn't work, and we see that. Putting safeguards in place, taxing, regulating it, I believe provides a better market and a safer market for our state. That is why I'm up here supporting this bill. I don't mind this uh, legislation being decriminalized, but the fact of the matter is 
we are still being used, our community is still being used for people to make a profit and to get rich and give nothing back to the community. Former state Senator Toy Hutchinson, who's now the governor's cannabis point person, said the new law signed this summer allowing the state's medical cannabis dispensaries to sell to other adults was a massive and lengthy undertaking. A level set first. This is the this is the result of hundreds and hundreds of hours, uh, two pretty hostile governors, four years of travel and debate and negotiation. And then we got a governor who came to this issue understanding that the most important thing we could do is to is to insert social equity and criminal justice reform into this prospect. The law will allow anyone 21 and older to buy and carry up to 30 grams of cannabis flour. The law also allows for expungement of certain past cannabis offenses. A series of state-approved growers and dispensaries will be allowed to legally sell, but for the first round of legal recreational sales, it'll be from existing medical cannabis businesses that got state approval to sell recreational marijuana. Even before legal recreational sales began, the state started taking applications for new dispensaries and cultivation centers. The state's accepting applications for the state's social equity loan program, a move sponsors say is meant to reverse the impact on the war on drugs. But other aspects of the law created confusion and raised questions. From Chicago to Springfield, law enforcement officials had questions about what legalization means for personal consumption on private property. Springfield Police Chief Kenny Winslow said, with less than two weeks until it's legal... They weren't really sure how to interpret the law. The law is vague. It is. The law is, in some ways, is very restrictive and well-written. In other ways, it's very vague and not well-written. And communities are going to handle this differently. Uh, in consultation with Corporation Council after that, we've come to the agreement that the residence is the structure and anything attached to the structure, such as a porch, a deck, a stoop, the stairs leading to there, that's how we're going to interpret a residence, okay? I can tell you other communities are not interpreting that way. Right. So our citizens need to be aware that if they travel from community to community and they're going to partake in the use of recreational marijuana, the rules may be different depending on where they're traveling to. Illinois is the 11th state to legalize recreational cannabis. It's the first to do so through the state legislature. Meanwhile, Illinois lawmakers took one step in 2019 toward reducing pension costs. Cole Otterbach reports. Governor J.B. Pritzker signed a measure in December to consolidate 649 downstate police and fire pension funds into two in an effort to boost investment returns and ease pension costs for municipalities and taxpayers. Some local governments' entire share of property taxes goes directly into pensions. In some municipalities, it's not enough. The new law takes effect immediately. It was the product of the governor's task force on pension consolidation that produced a report before the fall session. At the bill signing in December, Pritzker spoke about the issue and how it's tied directly to property taxes. The current system of investing 649 small funds is failing, and taxpayers are paying a high price. Working together, we have put hundreds of cities in Illinois on a path toward alleviating their massive property tax burdens. Pritzker said local pension boards will still have a say in the investments. The measure did draw some controversy at the 11th hour when it was amended to enhance Tier 2 pension benefits for public workers. Senator Jason Barrickman says the addition was irresponsible. It effectively undoes some of the reforms that were put in place back in 2011. We don't know how much it's going to cost. We don't know if it's necessary. All that was suggested by the sponsor of the bill is that she thinks this is necessary to do today. 
State Representative David McSweeney supported the measure with the pension sweetener, but said there should be a change in the state's constitution if lawmakers really wanted to address unfunded public pension liabilities. I voted for the consolidation bill yesterday, even though I didn't like the benefit increases. There'll be a lot of savings to taxpayers through consolidation, through increased investment returns, but we need a constitutional amendment on pensions. Taxpayers United of America President Jim Tobin said the matter wasn't enough. I don't see that it'll help the taxpayers and it won't result in any any significant savings uh, for the pension funds either. Uh, the pension funds are doomed. They're going to have to cut them sooner or later. Outside of Chicago, those 649 funds have about $12 billion in combined unfunded pension liabilities. The average funding ratio for those funds was almost 55%. I'm Cole. When we come back for Illinois in Focus 2019 Year in Review, we'll take a look at more stories of the year, including a deadly year for Illinois State Police, a new governor, and looking for a new Senate president. That's ahead when Illinois in Focus 2019 Year in Review returns. I'm Greg Bishop. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at thecentersquare.com. The country's fastest growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you want to get a quick update on what's happening at the state capitol in Springfield and across the state. Our team writes short, impactful stories that help all Illinoisans understand what's going on in their home state. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Our team covers government and the activity of elected officials so you can make sense of how their activity affects you and your family and your future here in Illinois. We know Illinois because we live in Illinois. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. Thecentersquare.com. This is Illinois in Focus 2019 Year in Review. In Springfield, I'm Greg Bishop. It started with a new governor who spent tens of millions of dollars to get the job. In 2018, Governor J.B. Pritzker beat his Republican opponent, former Governor Bruce Rauner, by a large margin. But it came at a price for Pritzker, who largely self-funded his campaign. The billionaire spent more than $160 million on the election. After taking the oath in January, Pritzker laid out his main agenda item of amending the state constitution's flat income tax to a progressive income tax with higher tax rates on higher earners. I'm not naive about what it will take to do this. All who enter a discussion about our state's budget and a fair tax system in good faith will be welcome to the table. But if you lead with partisanship and scare tactics, you will be met with considerable political will. That considerable political will included getting support from fellow Democrats for the progressive income tax. Democrats hold veto-proof majorities in both legislative chambers. Not a single Republican supported the question. Voters will get their final say on the progressive income tax proposal in the November 2020 election. The proposed progressive income tax amendment wasn't the only thing the governor laid out in his State of the State address. He got through a $45 billion multi-year capital construction bill paid for with tax and fee increases and gambling expansion. He also enacted the state's largest annual spending plan to date, and he ushered in the recreational cannabis measure, which begins January 1st. But his agenda didn't stop there. He used the veto session this fall to pass a measure to consolidate the state's 649 suburban and downstate public safety pension funds into two. 
He recently laid out some of what he looks to work on next year. Making sure that we're uh, expanding opportunities for working families to get ahead. You know, uh, I've talked a lot about lowering the cost of health care, lowering the cost of child care, lowering the cost of education. Uh, so that we can raise the standards of living of people who are working in our state, in addition to creating jobs for competition for labor so that we're uh, lifting up their wages while we're lowering their day-to-day uh, -day costs, their kitchen table uh, challenges. So all of those things are on the agenda for the spring session. But his first term was clouded with reports of federal investigations, raids on lawmakers and lobbyists, and indictments of at least two state lawmakers. Does the governor have tackling corruption in his sights for next year? In the spring session, we'll certainly be advancing, not just through the Ethics Commission, but I think the ideas of good legislators like those who stand around me today and um, my own office, uh, the ideas of you know what, what it is that we need to do to make Springfield really truly working for the people that they represent and not for the special interests and not for people who are trying to corrupt the system and not certainly for themselves and for their their own uh, financial aggrandizement. Altogether, the governor signed more than 660 bills in his first year. His next State of the State address is January 29th. Another major thing the governor pushed was increasing the minimum wage. And in Illinois, it's on its way to having one of the highest minimum wages in the country after lawmakers enacted legislation this year to raise it twice in 2020. Cole Lauterbach has details. Lawmakers passed Senate Bill 1 in February. It will eventually raise Illinois' minimum wage to $15 an hour by January 1st of 2025. But in 2020, it immediately raises the minimum wage to $9.25 an hour and then again raises the rate in July to $10 an hour. In debate, sponsoring Representative Will Gazzardi said the bill will include a number of exemptions. The bill creates a tax credit program for small businesses that are required to raise their wages to comply with the law. Uh, in a concession to some of uh, concerns that were brought up by members in suburban areas and concerns brought to us by the park districts, we've also created a new sub-minimum wage for seasonal employees who are under the age of 18. That minimum wage, weighs, excuse me, minimum wage, I better get used to that phrase will rise to $13 an hour by 2025. Uh, in short, this is a good bill. It's been thoroughly vetted and thought about for two years now, and it will provide substantive economic relief to 1.4 million Illinois. Republicans and business groups criticized the union-backed move, saying the high wage may work for Chicago, but will decimate the local rural businesses in central and southern Illinois. Here's Representative Brad Halbrook from earlier this month. There could be an argument to say we needed to increase to some extent, uh, but just to uh, put these numbers into place, you know, in central Illinois and most of Illinois, the labor market was in pretty good order. Um, our, our convenience stores are starting people at 10, 10, 50, way above the minimum wage now. Governor J.B. Pritzker dismissed critics at the bill signing, saying he understood business and they would come out fine. I understand the concerns of businesses and am very attuned to how it is that we need to create jobs in this state. In fact, the elongation of the years in which this is being implemented was one of those things. Even after the passage of the bill, there were critics who said the change didn't happen fast enough, demanding the governor advocate for an immediate $15 minimum wage statewide. Others said the state's caretakers, often union workers paid by the state, should have their wages automatically hiked to $20 an hour. I'm Cole Lauterbach. In 2019, it's been the deadliest year for troopers in the history of the Illinois State Police. Jim Moran has that story. 
More Illinois State Police troopers were killed in 2019 than any other year in the history of the Illinois State Police. Additionally, more Illinois State Police troopers were injured in traffic crashes than in recent years. The number of troopers struck and injured while handling on-duty responses with emergency lights activated during 2019 looks to end up close to two and a half dozen. In 2018, there were only eight such incidents. In 2017, there were a total of 12 trooper injury incidents, including the number of crashes involving troopers' vehicles being struck without injury. The numbers are even higher. One of this year's crashes was caught on video. The footage of the crash known as the Miracle on Ice went viral after it was shared on the Illinois State Police Facebook page. The crash happened on a stretch of I-64 near Wayne City in early November. Illinois State Police Troopers Jonathan Flum and Adam Zimmerman were assisting a stranded motorist when a box truck lost control. About a week after the crash, Trooper Flum described what happened when he heard his field training officer yell, Watch out! So I look up once he said that and all I hear and see is this box truck that was sideways coming straight out where we were standing. Nobody was seriously injured in the crash. Four troopers died during 2019. Three were traffic-related. The deaths of troopers Christopher Lambert in January and Brooke Jones' story in March were directly related to Scott's Law violations. Trooper Gerald Ellis died in June after a squad car was struck by a wrong-way driver. A fourth trooper, Nick Hopkins, a member of the Illinois State Police SWAT team, was shot and killed in a raid in East St. Louis. Hopkins was the third SWAT team member to have been shot in the over 40-year history of the team. He was the first to be killed. The last time there were more than two trooper deaths in a single year was 68 years ago when three troopers died in the line of duty in 1951. So why so many crashes this year? Illinois State Police Sergeant Joey Watson said earlier this month that the state police are still trying to figure that out. The contributory causes are unfortunately all over the board. Some of the factors include drunk driving, failure to reduce speed, and improper lane usage. With the increase of injuries and deaths, the Illinois State Police have ramped up their enforcement of Scott's Law. This year, the Illinois State Police have issued well over 6,000 tickets for violations of the state's move-over law, which is also known as Scott's Law. The number of Scott's Law violations in 2018 measures in the hundreds. Lawmakers enacted Scott's Law in 2002. The law requires drivers approaching stopped emergency vehicles to slow down and move over, changing lanes if possible. In 2017, the law was updated to include any stationary vehicle with its lights flashing. That includes tow trucks, IDOT vehicles, or any other type of stopped vehicle on the side of the roadway. Scott's Law fines begin at $250 for the first violation and $750 for the second. Illinois State Police spokeswoman Tracy Lillard said the intent of Scott's Law is to get motorists out of the adjacent lane. We understand that sometimes you can't move due to heavy traffic. Um, You know, it's unsafe to do so. We understand that. But the law then also reads that you must slow down and proceed with due caution. Lillard said that in addition to stepped-up enforcement, the agency has ramped up its efforts to educate drivers about Scott's Law. She said we are doing education on a daily basis, not just on social media, but with the use of education efforts. Also, during traffic stops, troopers explain the law if somebody is unaware of it. The Illinois State Police have put together a task force to study the impact of the increased Scott's Law citations and public awareness campaigns. Newly confirmed director of the Illinois State Police, Brendan Kelly, will serve as the chairman of the task force. I'm Jim Moran. Illinois officials tried and failed to get sports betting up and running before its neighbors, but it did manage to put it in state statute. 
Cole Lauterbach has that other story from 2019. After the U.S. Supreme Court allowed states to legalize and tax sports betting, Illinois officials scrambled to get a sports gambling bill across the finish line before other states did to capture as much revenue as possible. But the issue got hung up in Springfield around a number of factors, frustrating lead sponsor representative Michael Zaleski. I consider um, it is sort of Damocles sort, of sort of hanging over us that Illinois or that Iowa and Indiana got this may get this done before we do. It, it very much makes me want to get this done as soon as possible. One of the barriers to the passage of legislation allowing for sports gambling was how to pay for issues of gambling addiction. Department of Human Services Secretary Grace Ho said the state is asking taxpayers for $880,000 on top of the $1 million they already have to provide services for gambling disorders. She told the committee in April that the fund is not being fully utilized now because gamblers aren't using the services. And so we hope by the time we get into fiscal year 2020, we will see the increase in treatment, which is why we're asking for almost double um, on the line. Gambling opponent Anita Bedell said gambling addiction is going to cost much more than what lawmakers think. When you expand it more, you're going to create more problems. Okay. You're, you, you want to help, but it's going to create so many more problems. The measure passed as part of the state's $45 billion infrastructure plan, but state regulators are still working out the final details. Zaleski says it will likely not be ready for the Super Bowl, but Illinoisans might be able to legally place bets for March Madness. Um, I'm starting to get a little uh, more cautious in saying that if we could have someone placing a bet on March Madness, that'd be great. I'm Cole Lauterbach. And amid widespread reports of investigations into corruption at the State House this year, Illinois Senate President John Cullerton announced he's stepping down. Cullerton is 71. He and his wife Pam have five children and three grandchildren. He served in the U.S. Army and attended Loyal University. Aside from being a senator, he's also a partner with the law firm Thompson Coburn. He announced his retirement from the legislature on the final day of fall veto session in November. Cullerton's been in the General Assembly since 1979, initially serving in the House until 1991. He then was appointed to a Senate seat and was later selected to be the Senate president in 2008. During his tenure, Cullerton oversaw the removal of former Governor Rob Blagojevich after Blagojevich's impeachment in the House in 2009. In 2011, he helped usher in a temporary income tax increase that expired in 2015 and another income tax increase in 2017 over then-Governor Bruce Rauner's veto. More recently, members of Cullerton's caucus have been under investigation by the FBI. This summer, federal agents raided the home and office of State Senator Martin Sandoval. They were looking for information related to a possible kickback scheme that could have touched on several industries, including energy, gambling, and transportation. Reports also surfaced an unnamed state senator was wearing a wire that snagged up a former state lawmaker, State Representative Louis Arroyo, who pleaded not guilty to bribery. Senator Tom Cullerton from Villa Park was also indicted on charges of embezzling from a labor union. He's pleaded not guilty. The Senate president responded to how the legislature should react. Well, as you guys know, Senator Sandoval hasn't been charged with anything. Senator Cullerton has. Senator Royal has been charged. So there's all different various uh, degrees here. It appears that Senator Cullerton's charges do not involve the legislature, the others appear too. So that's why it needs to, we need to take a reason, common sense approach to this, which is what I'm willing to do. But Cullerton won't be around next year to deal with the legislation addressing corruption. His retirement's effective in January. That means senators must pick a new leader. 
politics, Professor Kent Redfield provides an overview. Uh, you have to put together some coalition. You could get crossovers, but I, I you know, right now that's that's highly unlikely. This is kind of a contest where um, people go out and and, and uh, uh, raise money. Uh, uh, you know, Don Harmon has been. Part of what the Senate president does is obviously raise money for the caucus. Don Harmon has been raising money and, and giving it to the state party and other candidates and to the, the caucus committee for, you know, for quite a while. And Another potential replacement for Senate President Biz, State Senator Kimberly Lightford. Senators return January 19th to pick the next Senate president. And this has been 2019 Year in Review with Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. Thanks for listening, and here's to a great 2020.